For full accident management support, including motor replacement, repairs and personal injury compensation claims, just search G4 Claims today. Uh, hi and welcome to this week's episode of the DW Podcast. I am joined by one of Scotland's most influential women. Oh, I'm going nice. to big you up from the start. Oh, I believe that was, that was in the, the papers last year. Yeah, that was, when was that? A couple of years. I, yeah, I, yeah, stuff like that. I still always get overwhelmed. I was like, what? What do you mean? That's amazing. So yeah, I want you to introduce yourself. Oh, uh, thank you. So I am Julie. I own Julie's Cocotiam in the South Side, which is a kind of small Malaysian cafe. And it's just got, I mean... 15 seats when it isn't COVID times, but we're just open for takeaway just now. And I opened that about three years ago in December. So it's uh, not old, but also not new. How's it been going? I mean, this must be a challenging time for, for many, but it seems like you're a cruise trip. Yeah, it's been, do you know what? It's been a bit mad, to say the least. I'll never kind of forget that first week of when like everyone was like finding out about lockdown. And nobody just knew what to do. Everyone was just a bit like, okay, are we going to close? Are we going to get furloughed kind of thing? And I mean, that, that feels like a lifetime ago now kind of thing. But um, it's just been, I feel like I can't really complain because we've actually had it so much better than some other places like kind of more fancy restaurants and hotels. We've been like able to kind of adapt and do takeaway and street food because the food kind of lends itself really well to that. So in terms of that, I feel like I can't complain very much. I guess like... I'm kind of just sympathising with everyone who maybe is the same as us have had to change business models quite a lot so you're going from like having even just silly things like um, having all your plates in the restaurant to not having them there to then trying to find space for all your takeaway things and it's just all the small things that it's not like again that's not going to bring the back but I think everyone's just constantly working to make sure that you're ahead of the next lockdown rule or the next kind of thing that's going on so yeah, in terms of that, I can't complain, but it has been a kind of a testing time in terms of just challenging yourself to be creative, I would say. Of course, it's funny because you, you see things online and it looks like some, you know, people in hospitality are really, really struggling and others yeah. are thriving. I mean, we're filming this again in Strand and the East End and uh-huh. this place has been absolutely packed, you know, yeah, and totally. takeaways have been brushed out the door, but it seems like yours have been pretty similar. Yeah, it's same actually. I mean, I guess similar to Scran as well. It's like, if you've got... I guess maybe fine dining, you're not going to have that kind of food travelling well in a cardboard box, yeah. whereas the food that we do, I guess, and same with Scran, it kind of does travel quite well. Um, so I guess it's meaning that we are eating a bit more casually this year, I think, yeah. without actually, not really thought about that up until right now, but I think the whole world's probably eating a bit more casually because you're not having these kind of, I guess, white linen, fancy kind of tablecloth dinners, but... For us, it's just been a case of, again, you just kind of figure it out day by day. And that's been kind of nice. But I think one of the things I've noticed actually is that you do have a really nice following of customers. Like customers have been amazing. Like we've never had this amount of kind of positive reviews and you can almost feel that it's from people like kind of trying to big up businesses Mm -hmm. and just being really supportive kind of thing. So like 
that kind of goodness of the general public and your customers is quite heartwarming as well. Um, and I'm sure places like Scan here kind of thing will see that too. And it's just one of those moments where you're like, oh, like there is, there's a lot there's of good out there. Kind of, yeah, totally. I think there's been a lot of focus on that round about lockdown. You know, getting wrong, people have been stuck indoors, but there's been a lot of focus, certainly on Instagram and social media, but, you know, shop local, but it's yeah. getting these local businesses and local shops and, and totally. really help them out. Totally. But on the other hand, you know, I feel that get into another lockdown it seems to be the big supermarkets or places like Amazon that you know really benefit from them that they're closing a lot of small businesses down and exactly. that's all that you're left with exactly and I think like I mean we always talk about things like eating locally about like growing your own produce and eating stuff that's around us lockdown has obviously had its hardships and the coronavirus has had a huge amount of hardships that I wouldn't even begin to start listing but um as we were talking about earlier, I feel like it's been quite important to just keep your head on all the little things that have been going on. So like even just things like you can, there's lots of places changing what they do. <clears throat> and I think the one thing I was thinking about today actually is this is quite like a unique time to try lots of businesses doing different things because you've got these like at home kits and you've got like, I guess just different types of food on the menu. Like um, there's like fine dining restaurants that I was looking at, one in Copenhagen that it was amazing. I remember going there back in the day and when everything was fine and okay sure. and for the wee kind of treat meal when you're on holiday. And they're just doing this amazing fried chicken now. Okay. And like, I think it like... Was it a fried chicken no, restaurant? No, 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 it was like a really like, it was one of those kind of like uber sustainable, amazing okay. kind of Scandinavian style places yeah. that everything was grown locally and it was just like, it was amazing. It was one of the best meals I've ever had. But they now look like they're doing amazing kind of like organic fried chicken. Really? And I bet you that would be absolutely amazing. Like I'm sure I, th I just think in a way, like of course <clears throat> people are struggling, but I'd quite like to see this and almost like I guess put out the message to be like, this is quite interesting for people who are really into food. Like you're yeah. seeing businesses adapt to loads and like stuff that you would never be able to do in the house. Like you would never cook a kind of at home of meal from the likes of like Ops and Finch or Kapow or anything like that. So and it I seems do think great it's that great. they're showing they're giving people the step to step guides as well. Yeah. You know, it's not like here's the food, go and do totally, it. It's, yeah. Totally. And you're getting like just a change of I guess kind of ethos with it. And people I think I kind of predict after lockdown, like I'm sure everyone, myself included, will have the time of going to pubs and going to <laughs> restaurants sure. and probably drinking loads of wine and having a great time. But I also think it might instill in people like a bit more of a kind of slower life pace of like kind of I guess enjoying things a bit more sitting down a bit more um I was even talking to a friend who's got a pub and just maybe even things like you won't be kind of rushed up to the bar to like queue for pints maybe people will be sitting down yeah, a bit more too, yeah. yeah I think so I think there'll be a a couple of new things that'll kind of stay with the effects of lockdown yeah. I really hope that's the case because I feel that you know this time when a lot of people have been stuck at home they've really appreciated you know being able to switch yeah. off a bit more or, or that more relaxed pace. You look at businesses where people are working in offices and a lot of them are closing their offices and saying, yeah. you know what, work from home, if yeah. it gives you a better work-life balance, uh -huh. then why not? Totally. And then you're seeing things like, um, I, I mean, I brushed past an article the other day and it was something like European leaders were like really interested in instilling the four-day working week. So there's lots yeah. of things. Of course, there's loads of negative things from this and there's, I think we'll have to deal with quite a lot of mental health issues at the outcome of, of this, but... For just now as much as possible myself personally i'm trying to be like right okay four day working week get to cook some fancy food in the house that's yeah. quite nice kind of thing so just trying Listen, to keep positive why, where you can why not if you can do it in four days why would you not and yeah. don't get me wrong i am not saying that everywhere i've worked i can do it in four days yeah. but 
listen, a lot of people switch off on a Friday afternoon anyway. Totally, totally. So why not just work from home, know. you know, or why not just give them that extra day? Because uh-huh, I think, I mean, we've got the chefs in the Kokutian, they have always, pretty much always, maybe other in the beginning, um, have been kind of on four day working weeks and it just makes such a difference to your mental health because I mean I guess especially for chefs you do work long hours sometimes it's 12 hour shifts you're on your feet a lot it's kind of like quite a physically demanding job so I feel like for myself anyway when I had that it's like one day of rest and then you've got two days to kind of go and socialize and see friends and I think it just has such a big impact on mental health as well because you do have a bit of time to relax and then you're going to go and see pals do whatever kind of life admin you have to do yeah. to keep on top of so yeah i think that'll be one of the nice things to come out of lockdown julia you've led me on to a really obvious question <laughs> you know you, you said there it's a stressful job yeah why do it you know like what, what brought you into this what was your early experiences of cooking and why did you want to do it as well a job? it was um i actually never ever planned to be a chef um I just didn't even think about it. I think sometimes my brain works quite slowly in ways like that. I'm learning. Because I will um, be honest, like the, <laughs> I am terrible at cooking and the thought of being a chef, yeah. I'm like, no chance. I mean, it is. I think also you see those kind of like, and it is a stressful job. It's like, you're just constantly around dangerous things. You're around really hot things. You're around sharp things. You have to move at quite a quick pace. Um, things break all the time. So you have to be quite like good at adapting kind of thing. Um, but for me, I think that the whole reason that I started was because, I mean, obviously I learned loads from my mum and she's like, she's got quite a love of cooking. And I think from a young age, I would watch her, like food was almost like the kind of catalyst that would like bring social gatherings together. So like, for me, the kind of like nice feeling of like having friends around and cooking them a dinner like I love that so much I never get tired about doing holidays there's something very rewarding about yeah, it as well isn't there yeah, yeah. totally um, I just never get tired of it so I think that idea kind of expanded and then I knew that I wanted to have somewhere that was quite small that was quite personal so we found the Kopitiam after Cappy Strange Brew were in there and Laurie actually she was the first person who taught me how to do chefing and she owns Cafe Strange Brew um, and it was great to learn from her kind of thing because she's got such a hard work ethic and it's just quite an inspirational kind of thing to be sure. around you all she's like wow you can you can do a lot here kind of thing um, so then that led to opening the restaurant so I don't actually remember a point in my life before any of this where I went I want to open a restaurant it just started with the street food stall and then we went to a kind of location to location doing street foods. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, I think maybe we can graduate <laughs> to, yeah. doing, to having a proper restaurant, to having people sit in. And that was quite a nice feeling. And just, yeah, and it not being like a big, massive kind of operation was quite nice that it's somewhere where I could like cook and still see the customers kind of thing. And nothing that was too kind of back of house, front of house kind of thing. So it's an open kitchen in the coffee time as well, which is oh, yeah. quite nice. Um, yeah, so I think in saying that it is quite stressful, um, but I think there is this new wave, especially in Glasgow, of like young kind of people opening cafes, opening bars, opening restaurants. And I think there's a bit of like a kind of movement of people wanting like a good work life balance, um, wanting to bring like a new kind of scene, I guess, to the Glasgow food. And I feel like, I don't know if this is just maybe a bit silly of me to say because of my time but I feel like from growing up to now 
as of the past maybe five or six years, there's just been this like exponential growth of kind of food quality in Glasgow. Yeah. Um, it seems like it's come out of nowhere. Yeah, know? totally, right. totally. And not that there wasn't before, because I don't want to insult anyone who's <laughs> listening. But, but no, I think you're right. Yeah. I think that the food scene in Glasgow has just shot off, yeah. you know, and it's it's all good quality. Yeah. You know, there's so it's many places quality. across. You know, the... And there's so many, like, um, different cuisines. So you've got, I think people have got a real interest for, um, I guess, you've got, like, do you know what I've seen? There's so many great falafel places recently. I've noticed this. I tried I one out falafel. in uh, I tried one out in the West End. Is it Mister Falafel? Yeah, yeah. Right, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I went really there with my girlfriend, good. and it was really nice. It's amazing, right? and totally. that's in the car park. It was right. it's just like it's almost garage. like a yeah. burger van type uh-huh. thing. It looks really good. Cool. Totally, right. and you kind of like think being like the Scottish people that we are, you always hear about these cool things happening right. in America and like parking lots and stuff like that but actually I was like oh wait this is happening in our city now that's quite good mm. um so again I think you're just seeing there's so much like exciting stuff happening and lots of people engaged with cooking and lots of people engaged with like I guess the ethos of small businesses especially in food as well mm. um which has been really nice it seems like there's a great community there as well yeah. he's all support each other and yeah. just look out for each other rather yeah. than it being you know very cutthroat totally and, yeah. totally and I think Glasgow is such a small place and again it does thrive on the people kind of thing and like I just think supporting other businesses and going to like go and see what everyone's doing and it's quite like it's quite inspiring like I mean just even coming to Scran like seeing the size of it kind of thing I was like oh this is like this is like it's funny when you came in and you were talking to Chris as a chef here and I was like they two are absolutely fantasizing over this kitchen and it's like oh my god what is going on you get this thing as a chef where you're like well, that's nice, but um, let me see your kitchen. That was almost the first question, wasn't it? <laughs> and, uh, and I have, I'm, I'm going to say it, I have such wee man syndrome because I get so jealous because my kitchen is so small in the cold. Yeah, it's like the size of a cupboard and the kitchen in here is great. I can confirm. So. <laughs> for, for those that are, are sitting at home and listening are, are watching, what is Malaysian street food? Um, so Malaysian street food is a kind of amalgamation of lots of different types of cuisines so um i guess with i always think that food and politics are quite intertwined and i've got this maybe especially so from malaysia um and malaysia's had lots of movement in its history so it's had lots of colonization which not to celebrate it but it's definitely changed the food path kind of thing so um, there's like Indian Malaysian food, there's Portuguese Malaysian food, there's Nonya, which is Chinese Malay, which is where my family come from, they're all Chinese Malay. And um, and there, it's just such like a wide variation, so I never get bored of it. Um, because if you've had, I don't know, too much of one spice, you can kind of move on to another part sure. of it. So the street food aspect is kind of so important, they even have this like, just everything with food in Malaysia is so, so important. Even like, if I was to bump into you in the street and if I was to say like, hey Derek, how are you? That's, I wouldn't do that in Malaysia. I'd come up to you and say, hey Derek, have you eaten yet? And if you said no, I'd be like, You're oh, to get food. do you wanna go and get like something from okay. the street food van kind of thing. Um, so that's just like, that's just part of the kind of opening rhetoric for everyone mm. and the, even like the street food stalls, they're, if, the food is so cheap. And I guess produce is a lot cheaper. Labour again, which is a bit cheaper there too, which is obviously a bit of an issue. But I think it comes with the culture of everyone eating out so much. Um, you even get quite, I think, I'm not sure. I just remember the last time I was there, my aunt talking about 
all these kind of high-rise modern flats that are being built without kitchens or maybe just like a small kind of kitchenette mm -hmm. thing cause people just eat out so much yeah, yeah. Um, so you That's go really to, yeah totally yeah. it's like just part of it because the kind of cost of it is so low I guess people are selling lots more than you would here kind of thing um, so you go out for breakfast lunch and dinner quite a lot and sure. it's great it's just amazing I mean you have like spicy rice for breakfast kind of thing and you have a thing called roti chanai which is like a buttery flatbread and that's from the kind of South Indian um, style of things and it's just it's amazing so for me in a big nutshell, that's the kind of street food thing. It's like, it's so varied and everyone does it from all kind of walks of life, which is quite nice. And all kind of cultures and religions too. So Do you feel that in the, the west of Scotland when you're opening somewhere like that, it might be, maybe not now, but at first that could be quite new to people. Yeah, so totally. I, I remember the first time I came across yourself was at the Bar's Art and Design Centre. Oh, it was yeah, the Brooklyn yeah, Brewery yes. pop-up. That was great. And you know I think that I'm quite varied in my food taste, but I was like, mm, what should I get here? I'm not really sure what that is. Yeah. And it, it seems very authentic, which is great, because I feel that here, people are so guilty of going to a Chinese or an Indian, yeah, yeah. and they're ordering something that you'll never see in China totally. or India. Totally. You know, so to come into somewhere like Scotland, where people, not in a bad way, but can be quite naive and think that a Chinese yeah. food is curry sauce and chicken bones. Totally. <laughs> you know. Which I indulge in quite a lot. Of course, everyone really does like now and again. Well. Um, I, but... I feel that... Yours is very authentic, you know? Yeah, I try and make it as much as possible. And like, it's kind of based on what my mum would cook growing up. So like, I think also it's maybe more traditional than authentic because I'll never try and like replicate. So you don't get the same type of garlic here. You don't get the same type of everything. So maybe even like we change like what veg you would use in something. Mm. You use like a Scottish veg or whatever you can get your hands on. Um, and for the start of it, we used to... I guess we just used to have a couple of dishes in the street food thing and one of the nicer things that have happened is you gain quite a lot of trust from customers going on the years and the millions of street food boxes that you give out at yeah. events um, and it means that we have been able to put on quite obscure things which I thought that maybe people would never eat in a million years. Um, there's a thing called ikan bilis which okay. is uh, dried anchovies which I love and I could eat them like crisps. Yeah. They're like... Um, Anchovies have been sun dried, so they're like very crispy and quite salty. So almost like a bar snack. And I love really kind of like overly fishy things like that. Um, but you get people loving that here. It's amazing. And like from that being what people would maybe, maybe I guess the main Malaysian dish that people would recognise is satay, um, which is great. Also love it. Have a lot of time and love for a satay skewer. Um, now people are eating like all of the kind of various bits and bobs we brought along. Mm -hmm. And I mean, even and people are becoming more educated and aware of what there is out there, isn't yeah. there? I think I'm still quite naive. If I was to come into you, I'd just say, right, what are you giving me? Like, just, yeah, and I'll I, try it because you, you build that trust, as totally. you said. Yeah. I think that's great, though. I love it when, like you're saying, mm. like people come in and they're just like, I have no idea what this is. Can you just kind of point <laughs> totally. out? I kind of like this and I kind of like this. So um, I always say to people, like, there'll probably be something on there that you like, even if you don't like spice, because I think we often get... Um, thought of as like really spicy kind of food in the restaurant but you can get things that are quite mild like all the nonya food like the Chinese Malay food is often quite like fresh fragrant stir fries so you don't have to get chilli in it quite a lot um so yeah it makes it quite interesting for people so hopefully it can be inviting and not too scary. I think it is you know I think it's really intriguing as well and I think it's you know you, you said that food links to politics I think that's yeah. absolutely spot on and I think maybe the rise in these places popping up across Scotland and Glasgow yeah. is to do with more integration and yeah. you know to do with more people coming from Definitely. overseas. You know, it's great. Quite a lot of 
quite a weird, I, I, even down to like travel programs, I think people are just becoming a bit more aware of like movement and food kind of thing. And we live, I guess the UK is so multicultural and it's like very important for us to kind of relate back to where your curry came from in a takeaway on a Friday exactly. night kind of thing. So um, yeah, there's that really nice part of it where you are seeing, of course, I wouldn't like to just pretend that there's no, um, I guess, how would I put this? No racism out there, but there is definitely a bit of like a kind of awareness of culture, I think, happening in Glasgow, which is really nice. I think you'd be very naive to say there's yeah, not. You know, I've seen definitely. this week there was the, uh, I don't know if you've seen it, the replies to the Sainsbury's tweet, uh, the advert. And, you know, you like to think that that isn't in Scotland, but totally. there, there is an underlying yeah, thing there, you know. And definitely. Is that something you've ever experienced? Or, yeah, yeah, I mean, actually, I found it quite interesting because. I get being half Malaysian, half Scottish, you've got, um, love it that there's people screaming in the street in Glasgow every night. <laughs> the joys are recording in the East End. <laughs> the joys of it, I love it. Um, but when I think being half Malaysian, half Scottish, and I actually don't think I look that Malaysian straight off. Um, so yeah, I think actually I've experienced maybe quite a lot of fly in the wall racism. So almost like people maybe seeing stuff around you that you're a bit like, oh, wait a minute, I don't think you realise. Which is actually, like, for me... Do you think that's worse? In some ways, yeah. In some ways, but then I guess when... I, I probably just get a bit kind of vocal about it at that point then, <laughs> so I just kind of sit there silently and then maybe say something. But I think that's actually maybe how I experience it more, um, which is good because then... I, it's not good, but it makes you realise that it's still out there kind of thing, and maybe yeah. I wouldn't have realised that in another circumstance. Um, and I like to, I guess, and just with my mum coming over here kind of thing, I mean, I know other um, half Malaysian people in Glasgow who yeah. look way more Malaysian than I do kind of thing, um, but you don't feel any different, so... And you shouldn't. Yeah, you totally, shouldn't. totally. Uh, for that, I do find it quite interesting. Um, I don't think the most I've experienced it has to be in taxis. It's been in quite a lot of taxis. <laughs> it's like that. I don't know if you've seen that Kevin Bridges sketch yeah. where he's saying, like, you go into a taxi and the guy's just always racist. And, yeah. you know, people just agree with him to shut them up. But yeah. I know. you shouldn't. I'm really always shouldn't. one who's a bit of a scrappy dude and then Aye. end up seeing something halfway through and having to get another taxi, which is a pain. But, <laughs> but yeah. I wonder so. if that's the, the job interview there, you know. Yeah, totally. Taxi driver, racist. <laughs> no. Please do not take them off. No offence to any taxi drivers. <laughs> Oh, actually, I've had so many lovely taxi drivers as well, just to say that for full disclaimer. But um, yeah, I think that's where it happens the most. And my mum came over here in the 70s and she came over. I just find the whole thing, I've obviously kind of followed her journey. And she came over here when she was 18 and she couldn't speak any English and she just had to learn really quickly. Um, so she started studying in Leeds and then she moved up to Glasgow after that and yeah. she's worked for the NHS for, well she's just retired actually, but for 45 years kind of thing. And she moved over at a time where I think Glasgow, I might be, I might be getting this wrong, but I think it's when the ice cream the ice cream was, yeah, yeah. I think. I could be getting this completely wrong, but she used to kind of tell me these stories she's a health visitor so she has yeah. to go to I guess quite a lot of deprived areas in Glasgow and go and um, I guess look after people's babies and give them kind of jags and stuff like that the usual um, but because she is this wonderful bubbly soul she just kind of got in there straight away and I think people absolutely adored her for that um, she's obviously experienced like a couple of kind of racist moments but 
overall, I think that kind of warmth is how she's integrated yeah. here, and she loves she loves Glasgow so much, and she loves kind of working with the NHS, and she loves all of this stuff. So that's why I think I may be more vocal about kind of putting down. I guess getting out of taxis halfway through just to say no, I'm not getting out yeah. here because you've been racist. So yeah, it's a kind of personal connection for that. I would that's, say. that's that's great. The point that you make, you know, about her getting into these deprived areas and, yeah. and being welcomed because I often yeah. think that when you actually go into these deprived areas, I'm from Motherwell myself, you know, and, and you yeah. meet people that stay in these housing schemes, they're usually very very warm to other people around yeah. them and, and their neighbours. And I think that at Sanjeev on the podcast we spoke about that yeah. before, and uh-huh. he mentioned, you know, not to take it back to still game, but his character Naveed represents so many oh, people yeah. that are in these deprived areas and you know they're putting something back into the community totally. the way that your mum was being yeah. a health visitor they're yeah. into that community and people respect that you know yeah. and, and they really appreciate it not to say that there's not racism there but you know a lot of the people that go into these communities are the beating heart yeah. of the community and making such a difference exactly i think that's when you see like the goodness in people yeah. too kind of thing especially actually that's a very good point with Sanjeev's character being kind of representing yeah. so many people who I mean, have embraced it. Thank you so many, you know, people who have got shops and, and communities that really are beating yeah. heartbeat there. There's there's a guy in Motherwell that, you know, he's a, he's an Asian shop owner and people will go to him when they're skint at the end of the month and say, listen, can I pay you next week? And he'll be like, yeah. aye, that's fine. Yeah, and totally. they've got that trust that kind of report. Aye. I mean, my mum, she'll probably kill me for telling this story, but she, uh, she I remember her telling me, she so she used to work in the east end of Glasgow um, for, I think... God, a good maybe 20 years of her career and this is back when if you kind of parked up your car and you're seen to be of a different race there's quite a good chance your car could get its yeah. window smashed or whatever or something could happen but I think because she was this bubbly woman who kind of made everyone laugh and was that kind of pillar of the community she used to tell me that she used to have these really dodgy probably quite prominent characters in Glasgow actually look after her car when she would no go way. into the high-rise flats that's so amazing yeah, she used to have people kind of look out for her and I think that again for me that's just kind of the spirit of humans like of just being nice and being lovely kind of thing and I think that's maybe a Glasgow yeah, thing as well it's quite a Glasgow story I always remember really going to Celtic Park as for a mother old game years ago with my dad and was a wee boy in my apartment can and he says, right, mister, I'll watch your car for a pound. <laughs> <laughs> so and basically, if you say no, your car's getting tanned. You've not really got an option there. But it sounds like your mum did and they were doing it for the right yeah, reasons rather than definitely. for a few quid. And I think, um, and she used to come in and probably not understand the Celtic Rangers clash quite a lot <laughs> and go in and poke fun at these probably quite big Glasgow gangsters with Celtic one and they were a Rangers fan kind of thing. And she's telling me these stories when I'm in my 20s and I'm going oh my god but again I kind of love that I believe in that kind of spirit of things like pushing you through so yeah it's that Glasgow you know that no mean city but there's a there's a nice undercurrent to it yeah. as well isn't there you know yeah. the, these people who are big tough gangsters yeah, have also got a soft side gangsters in the world <laughs> <laughs> probably the most charismatic ones too <laughs> your mum's putting herself in what people would see as a firing line yeah. you know getting that respect that exactly. she deserves which exactly. is good to see yeah so she's always got the stories for that so it's that's so funny I've heard you talk before about you know the, the industry that you're in is very male-led and male-dominant and yeah. I suppose from someone with your background and being female that must be challenging as well yeah and I think um god I was actually just talking about this the other day and we were just talking about this earlier how I feel like I sometimes live in my own echo chamber now because the restaurant that I run that's just not accepted kind of thing and it's not been for now the three years that we've been open so I guess being vocal about it has helped, but I kind of need to remind myself that that still happens yeah. um, in other kitchens. 
And yeah, I think, I mean, I actually obviously experience kind of um, cultural sexism as everyone does to an extent, but nothing like what you felt when you when I started working in the kitchen. Okay. I remember just being like, wait, what? This is totally medieval. Like, what's going on here kind of thing? And beforehand you were in retail, was that right? Yeah, yeah. I was in retail yeah. um, and just didn't experience to that extent up until I started working in the kitchen. And I'm not a shouty person, nor will I ever be. And I've just kind of decided from the get-go, I don't want to have to ever shout at anyone. Like, there, there's no need to kind of thing. Yeah. Um, there's no need to have that culture in kitchens because, as I say, there's already hot, sharp, dangerous things all around you kind of thing. You don't want to have... Anymore. Yeah, totally. Um, all your chances of getting hurt just through your own stupidity is quite high anyway kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, I think having experienced a wee bit of that in my first job um just silly comments and pans and ladles throwing which always makes someone look really silly i think <laughs> i don't think you can ever look bitch when you're throwing a ladle across a room it just <laughs> call it it's not like a javelin but anyway um yeah so after kind of experience stuff like that i just I almost, I think, and we were saying this earlier, I think I've laughed out the door if, I've, if it's yeah. ever been in our doorstep kind of thing. And, I mean, you hear of, like, things like, I guess this is maybe, and I don't want to generalise because I feel like places are kind of getting better, but the old and maybe still happening ways that I don't experience of chefs being quite um, misogynistic to front of house as well. Yeah. Um, and I think that's from the balance of there being far more male chefs kind of thing and maybe in bigger kitchens and things like that. Um, and then you have to question why, what, like, why is there more male chefs kind of thing? Um, we've had quite a lot of um, female chefs apply with us um, and I wonder whether that's because there's been a kind of an atmosphere of that kind of misogyny just won't be yeah. accepted kind of thing. And you know, I think you as well, you, it's testament to yourself, you've been outspoken about that, you know, you've been in the, the media talking about that before and yeah. it probably, you know, girls would want to come into that environment and work with you. Totally, and I hope that, I hope that, that kind of happens everywhere because like, we've got some of the most amazing chefs, like they're just incredible, they have such a calm temperament, they're so creative, if and I think you always get a moment in kitchens when you're just there's everything's going wrong, you're one member of staff down, something's broken kind of thing. And we've just got this team that are just so kind of on the ball and so good at dealing with situations. And I couldn't imagine if you threw somebody into that mix who's a bit shouty and a bit panicky yeah. and it's not um, gonna help, is it? No, it's not gonna yeah. help um at all. So I hope that changes things a little bit because I hate that kind of I guess like old misogynistic things of women belong in kitchens uh, from the kind of, I guess, dark ages. But then it's like, where is, it, where is that place in professional kitchens? If yeah. if this is your horrible misogynistic view, then how does that work in kind of professionalism kind of thing? Um, so yeah, hopefully that does change. And again, I just having a conversation with somebody who works front of house in quite a kind of big restaurant, and that was just, what, two days ago or something. I kind of had this moment of going, oh my God, that still happens. Mm. I forgot. I need to kind of, and I think it's important to maybe do a bit more about that and it's given me a bit of a wake up to be like, okay, actually, if, mm. and not that I can change everything, but if being vocal about it helps, then that's maybe the way forward. As I said, you know, the people will see that and they want to work for people like yourself or it will inspire other females to 
you know, so nice. get out there and do that. I think I it's really. I hope so. I mean, yeah. and then you know, there's I guess places like Scran as well, where it's like you've got, you've got. I don't, and I also just actually to put a note on that, I don't think matchism is just from one gender. I've seen like that kind of fiery temper within women as well in kitchens. I think that just needs to stop because I. Would, I think that's come from the kind of old school French style kitchens at the beginning where sure. there's all these tiers of chef to party and sous chef and everything. Do, and do you think, right, and this is maybe a stupid question for me because I've watched too much television, but do you think people like Gordon Ramsay, you know, in these kitchen nightmares and these stereotypical kitchen shows make yeah. people think that's the way it should be? You know, he's very shouty and yeah. how much of that is for the TV? Or, yeah, you know? I think so because you always hear those stories about him that yeah. he's very friendly and lovely and really like. Exactly. Um, and I wonder if that makes people that are coming through in the industry think well that's the way that you're meant to be you know that's yeah. the way that the top chefs are doing this is... totally because i think anything that's televised is quite influential yeah um so definitely i think maybe that stuff like that needs to i guess be toned down by the media too because then you've got i guess whenever you do think of a kitchen in a kind of um i'm even thinking of ratatouille right now <laughs> But that's what you think, you know. I, I said to yourself and Chris <laughs> yeah. beforehand, I says, I think your chef's as stressed out, yeah. smoking fags, raging all the time, shouting, yeah. you know. Well, it, it, it seems to, to me like that a stereotypical chef is never happy. No. But any chef that I meet seems quite chilled. Totally, totally. Yeah. And I'd like to think that this is this new wave and hopefully it does change. Like we um we don't actually have a system of like head chef, sous chef, chef party, um because I feel like also in the Cove Town we don't have a kitchen porter, okay. which is the person who does the dishes and all the peelings and potatoes and all the kind of jobs that you don't want to do. Yeah. Everyone is that because you it. want everyone pulling together? Yeah, Aye. of course. And like being admitting of my own kind of organised chaos, of course, at the beginning, that's a bit of like a funny thing to do. But I think the exercise of everyone doing the dishes, of everyone mopping the floor, yeah. of everyone doing the jobs that you have to do is just a better way of doing it. Um, it almost creates a better environment you take away that hierarchy yeah, you know, exactly. And, yeah, exactly. exactly I always think that in all jobs you shouldn't ask someone to do something that you wouldn't totally, do yourself you totally. know. And and like, maybe I mean, historically in you know, chefing that's the way it's been yeah, it almost exactly. is like yeah, here's your head chef and that's just the person that washes yeah. the dishes and yeah I mean if, if I can't unblock the toilet then nobody else should have to kind of thing exactly. so yeah I just yeah. think that um, it kind of helps take away that uh, hierarchy in kitchens, which is maybe where some of the kind of machoism comes from as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it'd be nice if that could go. And I'm pretty sure we would get better food for it as well. Mm. I think everyone would benefit. I think there'd be a lot more calm time and creative time too. So I think it's quite important. You mentioned the uh, television being very influential and, yeah. and you've not been shy on the telly yourself. No, I mean... <laughs> It's a, when did this begin? From MasterChef back in 2014, and I was a 22-year-old bear, and I was very scared, and hadn't ever worked in a professional kitchen, went down, met John and Greg, and I think from there on in, that's what kind of spurred me on to obviously open the kitchen and everything. But yeah, I... I've actually done, I've done some media work now and I think I enjoy it because I just talk so much and <laughs> probably talk the face of everyone so that's maybe part of it and I think that's quite a Glaswegian thing 100%, as well 100%. when you just talk and talk and talk kind of thing so yeah I really enjoyed doing it and again like you do the odd job where you're like right okay we're talking about a bit of a controversial subject today and maybe I'm putting the neck out on the line a wee bit here but 
um, at least I can say I've kind of said, I spoke my mind on it. So it's been a really nice um, platform to be able to do that. I feel really privileged that anyone's even asked me how I feel about these things. Yeah. So yeah, it's been a very kind of lovely path with it. Do you know, not, not to compare MasterChef to something like Love Island, but I feel that <laughs> people go on these TV shows and it's almost like two separate paths. You know, it's yeah. like, I feel that people are would no disrespect to everyone that's on Love Island because I'm sure there's some very talented people out there. I've never watched but you know, you get these reality TV shows where I think people jump on them and expect to make a career off it. But yeah. yours is the opposite. You know, you've been on something, you've showcased a talent. And ultimately, out the back of that, you know, it's, it's really been rewarding by the looks of it. That's so nice. That's yeah. lovely. I'm feeling very overwhelmed here. Is that something but, um, that you would say before you went on, you thought, do you know, that this might kick me on? Um, I, I have no idea. That kind of, like, six months of my life, I feel like, was quite a blur. I got the call to say that you've got through to the next round. Um, and I think I was in an airport actually. I was on. I was just on my way to go on holiday, and I think I could hear the tannoy in the background. And I'm going, "What on earth is going on here?" Um, and yeah, went down and did it. Oh, and then I just remember I have never sweated like that in my entire life. I mean, like beads of sweat, are just disgusting <laughs> down there in this professional kitchen. Um, because not only are you cooking, it's on telly, it's on yeah, the nation. Yeah, you know, totally. I remember just looking at my hand and it was just shaking and I was like, right, okay, just hold it down, hold it down, then it's going to be fine. And I, I remember watching Master Chef and seeing people shake away kind of thing. And you're like, um, why are they doing that? Yeah, I totally. Mean, you're in that yeah. yeah, and um, I never had a clue what was going to happen after. I actually went back to my job in retail for a while okay. after Master Chef um, and started writing recipes and oh doing a really kind of terrible blog I was not very good at that whole blog thing and uh, and then decided that I was like wait a minute I can't keep on writing about food and doing that if I don't know how a kitchen works sure. I want to kind of learn more about it um, so that's kind of how it happened I guess again there's um quite of a, a sporadic person I guess sure. and that's how it's all come about I've just been like oh maybe we could do this next week maybe that'd be quite a fun thing so yeah it's just been a very I feel very fortunate to be where I am now with it it all kind of makes sense now at the time when I remember just been like what on earth is going on yeah. how am I doing this and it seems from there as well you know you've had a great balance of you know opening up your own restaurant and also you know doing some journalist work as well and yeah. having your own show and I really yeah. like I just love um love writing I love chatting to people. I think that's my main thing. Um, I've always loved the kind of social aspect of jobs. So, and I think the hospitality industry really gives you that ability to still be social kind of thing every day. I think if I lived with anyone and I hadn't spoken to anyone all day, they would probably move out because they'd be like, shut up, Julie, you've just been talking all night. So, um, yeah, it's just been a kind of very fortunate path of lots of different bits and bobs of work. And, um It'd be quite nice just to see where that goes and just, yeah, maybe keep on being a bit controversial and upsetting a couple of people. But I guess it's that's part of the fun of it, of just kind of seeing. I think, how you why feel. would you not be yourself? You yeah, know, and, yeah. and that's it. I think that's probably testament to yourself is why you've done so well as you have been yourself. You know, and it's, it's shone through. Thank you. No, where does been... the future lie then? What, what's in the, the well, pipeline? I barely know what's happening tomorrow, to be honest. Right. <laughs> but no, I, uh, I think that I've always wanted to kind of get into teaching cooking and writing a bit more um, and now that we've got the Kofitiam it's been quite nice actually we did a pop-up in the Asabar in SWG3 for about a year and that was great and it was amazing just to kind of like see how like a bigger kitchen works and a bigger restaurant and you got the taste for it now 
I, do you know what I do and I really loved it but I think over this time I'm actually just so looking forward to like having a bit of time in our little Kokotiam south side because that's like our little hub as small as it is and it's starting to kind of do a bit more writing and um, just work with the chefs again kind of thing and develop recipes I mean like it's so fun like having a team like this I just feel so fortunate because we can go in every day and like make up a new special and everyone's so creative um I just kind of, I actually get overwhelmed sometimes because they send me photos of what they've been cooking that day when I've had a day like off and it's yeah. just amazing. Um, and it's so almost yeah. full circle. It's like you've gone across the road learning your trade and now you're yeah. there teaching other people. Totally, which is yeah. just crazy. Um, so it's just been a very nice journey and just, I'm looking forward to see obviously what happens when lockdown ends. I'm going to say when, not if, yeah. um, because I think it's important to be optimistic about it and just seeing what the kind of climate looks like then, just enjoying i guess enjoying seeing people properly 100%. again and then figuring it out from there but um and would you do your own cook school are you doing that just now is that something that you're looking yeah, into yeah actually we've done a couple of um lockdown videos okay. from my kitchen which looks like it's a it's a terrible kitchen. it's got tartan wallpaper and everything it's awful but that's <laughs> the kind of reality of it the new normal i guess um so just doing stuff like that and i think i quite like to open up a couple of places that just specialize in one thing so okay. Um, that's the kind of hopeful plan for right. next year at some point when it's all come down a little bit. But again, just keeping it into small places that yeah. are quite personal and nothing too kind of big and chaotic. I don't think I could handle it. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think just small kind of personal places for me would be nice. I mean, where yeah. can folk check out yourself and the cop teams, obviously? In the south side, Shawlands, oh, yeah. you'd say, wouldn't you? Do a bit of self-blogging. Yeah. So, yeah, in Shawlands, we've got the Kokotiam and we're just doing takeaway and stuff at the moment and it's nice. And actually, again, it's kind of going back to the street food routes that I was talking to you about yeah. in Malaysia. So we're having a kind of opportunity to do these kind of fried noodles and boxes and I really like that kind of um, going back to the basics. kind it's of like, authentic. Yeah, it's really nice, about, yeah. actually. Um, so we're just doing that and we have got a wee website now, which I built myself, which I'm very proud of. So I'm going to pick myself up for Wait, that. Nice. I'm not very Was technical. that a lockdown project? <laughs> it took me so long and it's not that um, it's not that advanced, but I'm very proud of it. So we have a website now. So we are now with the future generations. So that's quite good. Um, yes. So we'll be open for seven days up until kind of our Christmas time. And then we'll just see what happens after that. And hopefully we'll all be out of lockdown then too. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so it's much. It's been an absolute on. pleasure. And I'm nice absolutely starving now after talking about that. Just ate some noodles. <laughs> I know, totally. Uh, thank you to everyone who has tuned in to this episode of the DW Podcast. Uh, if you've not, please like and subscribe and check out some previous episodes as well. Thanks. Yeah.